This is episode 146 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today's guest is Tia Bagan. Tia is a speech-language pathologist and co-founder of Nutrophagia, a health and wellness company whose mission is to bring joy, delight, and care to everyone's day, and the creator of the Eat Bar. She completed her undergraduate training at the University of Iowa's Department of Communication Sciences and Disorders. She received her graduate training at Rush University Medical Center in Chicago, Illinois, and was fellowship trained at John Stroger Hospital of Cook County. She returned to Rush University Medical Center as a clinical supervisor and lecturer for five years. Throughout her 15 years of practice, Tia has provided patient care in the acute care hospital, outpatient rehabilitation, skilled, and long-term care facilities. Through independent research of dysphagia products over the years, she continued to see a discrepancy between the needs of her patients and the current offerings in the market. Tia is also a member of ASHA and has received an ACE Award for Excellence in Continuing Education. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, and I know firsthand how much confusing and conflicting information there is out there about how we assess and treat swallowing disorders. This podcast is all about bringing everyone together, getting on the same page, being open to new ideas, and using evidence-based treatment strategies for our patients with dysphagia. So let's get into it. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Hello, my friends, and welcome back. Um, Just wanted to let everybody know that this will be our last episode in July. We take a two-week break in July, so hopefully you can spend the next two weeks catching up on all the episodes that you missed. Um, If you did see a little glitch in the podcast um, apps like iTunes and the Apple app and Stitcher, I think some of them weren't uploading previous episodes correctly. They ran an update. We got it all straightened out. So um, if you were wondering if the podcast disappeared, it did not. It's back. So (laughs) now you can listen to it. Um, If you're also looking for something else to do in these next two weeks, we do have that MedBridge promotion going. They've always been so wonderful to this podcast. And you can get a MedBridge premium membership. Uh, Use promo code SYP. And that gives you the entire membership for, entire premium membership for $99. Uh, So that gives you access to all of their webinars. Uh, They have an app there. They have um, patient tools. Uh, They have engagement tools, the home exercise builder. All that stuff is really, really, really cool and genius, if I might add. Um, So if you just go to medbridgeeducation.com forward slash SYP, you can get that premium membership for only 90 bucks or $99, pardon me. I believe it's usually like 360. Um, If I'm wrong, Medbridge, don't be mad at me. So um, anyways, (laughs) um, so we have that promotion going on until August 15th. And I will add that if you do use that SYP promo code, a portion of That goes back into keeping this podcast going. And also, we are getting ready to open up the MedSLP Collective again on August 15th. So I know a lot of our students have been asking when that will reopen. Uh, So if you're looking for mentorship, if you're looking for live webinars, um, we have resources every week. We have monthly webinars for ASHA CEUs. Uh, We are happy to support you. It's an extremely wonderful, supportive community, if I do say so myself. So we will be opening that up August 15th. If you want to be notified, go to metaslpcollective.com and just enter your email on the wait list and we'll let you know. And along with that, 
we are having our collective live event at the end of September, September 25th, 26th, 27th. Last year we did this event and it was a huge success. Um, it is not just a bunch of webinars. It is not speakers just sitting talking to you. Every single person is involved and has a seat at the proverbial table, if I might add. Um, last year it was a bunch of round tables. You picked your... Um, whatever conditions you were interested in studying. And we have a mentor that was running the table. So they were tables of eight. So we discussed some really interesting case studies. So it's all driven by the members. And uh, we are doing it again this year, but we're doing it virtually, obviously. So um, yes, it's going to be amazing. I've found this awesome platform that we're going to be using. So you'll still be in your little roundtable groups of eight, being able to discuss really unique cases with mentorship and professors. And I'm so excited. So if this is a conference that you're looking to attend, I know everybody's super bummed that ASHA canceled theirs and they're not even doing a virtual one, which I think stinks, but it's just my opinion. But um, anyways, we are still doing the collective live event. It'll be virtual September 25th, 26th, 27th. Um, it's not recorded because it's all live, uh, so you have to be there those dates, um, and you have to be a member to sign up to join. So um, we are opening the collective again, August 15th, metaslpcollective.com, if you would like to join us. And I hope everybody has a relaxing uh, rest of July, and I will catch you guys in August. Hello, Tia. Hello. How are you? I'm good. It's nice to finally meet you. It is so nice to meet you. I am so glad that you wanted to come on and do this episode. I wish the timing was a little different, but it's, yes, <laughs> it's some funky meet. timing. Yeah. Yeah. We are mid COVID-19 right now and it's definitely an interesting time. So tell the people a little bit about yourself. Yep. My name is Tia Bagan and I'm one of the co-founders of the Eat Bar. And I just feel like I want to start by saying thank you to all the therapists out there. They really are our heroes right now. And yeah. um, it's a critical situation and I appreciate them being out on the front line. And I also yeah. want to thank you and your team. I think, you know, you're providing such comfort during a time of chaos and it's much needed. Oh. And my hope is that in the future, when this is all said and done, our mission though, as speech pathologists to not only be treated, but also compensated as essential workers will continue. Yes. And that's, that's the one hope I think we, we may be able to get out of this. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well said Tia. Thank you. Yeah. I, we, Tia and I were just talking kind of off the air about how just a weird place we're in now. Cause we know so many of you are running into the fire, so to say, and you're on the front lines. And then some of you are just kind of sitting, waiting for the, the patients to come down and come to you, you know, post acute. So you know, thank you to everybody that's out there. <laughs> those of you on the front lines and those of you that are, are waiting, you're definitely doing doing important work as well. So definitely. So what are we going to talk about today, Tia? Well, yeah, we, we can talk a little bit about my journey, um, how I was a speech pathologist and kind of how I really think being a speech pathologist in so many ways is just inherently um, into being a person that is an entrepreneur or innovative and just kind of talk about that. And, and I hope to inspire a little bit too. inspire therapists yeah. out there to know that there's ways that we can innovate. Yes, you can start a company and yes, you can develop products and run a business, but there's also other ways we can innovate in small ways. Awesome. I love that. And I think that definitely goes in line with what's going on in the world right now. I'm, I'm so fascinated by all these people that are all these inventions that are coming up with, you know, people making the masks and trying to make these 
so-called ventilator thing. You know, I, I love the ingenuity in this in this time of need. Yes. So and one, it makes you believe in medicine again. You know, you, you yeah, know yeah. that medicine. You know, you know the vaccine and all these things that are coming out. And so, uh, medicine is such a crucial thing and being inventive. And a lot of us that are in the front line or work with patients what better people to come up with things? Because we know, you know, how many times you sit there with a patient and you say, oh my gosh, what if we had this or this would make it better? So I think in so many ways, um, we're kind of set up for that. And most of us look at it as a calling. You know, we say, oh, it was kind of drawn to us. But when you look at all of our different personalities, a lot of times we are research driven. You know, we are very meticulous. We are intrinsically motivated. We like to problem solve. We are like research. So a lot of those things really do come into being an entrepreneur. And I think also a lot of us were trained by people in the field that were top researchers. Many of us are part of teams and at the facility, and we help to come up with patient rights and and different things we're going to do with patients. So I think on a daily basis, even when we sit down with our patients, we have to be innovative. You know, we're constantly problem solving anytime we give diagnostics or therapy. So it's kind of in us. Yeah, I love it. All right. So where should we start? Um, I could talk a little bit about how I came up with the bar. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. So I always say it was kind of not just one situation. There were kind of a combination of situations that came up when I started thinking about developing products. And it would be a scenario, like I'd be on the oncology floor and I'd go see a patient and I'd walk in and they'd say to me, I'm not hungry and it's taking a lot of effort to chew, you know, and I'm just very weak. Or I'd go see an ENT patient who had had neck cancer and I'd walk in and they'd have a complete tray full of food. And I'd say, what's going on? And they'd tell me, well, nothing tastes good. Um, I have sensory distortion and taste distortion. And with the radiation, I'm having trouble opening my mouth. And I also on the weekends would sometimes go to memory care facilities. And I would walk in and I would see these families that were often distraught. And they would tell me, you know, my mom, she hates the puree. It's like baby food. And she's burning so many calories because she's wandering all the time. And they'd say, isn't there a better way? And I started to kind of think, you know what, you're right. I think there can be a better way. And I really kind of started to think about not only dysphagia, but cachexia and kind of the combination, the coordination of that. And the fact that it was kind of this cause and effect, you know, people would be weak and then maybe they develop dysphagia and then they get weaker and how that kind of all came to be. And then I really started to think in that triangle too about quality of life and really, you know, what was I recommending to these patients and what did that look like in terms of their quality of their life? And if it was my mom or dad or my husband, what would I want to have them eat. And there's actually a study by uh, Lori Davis out of University of Tulsa, where she brilliantly describes kind of this. And she talks about quality of life and talks about different techniques and tests that you can give family members and measurements of how you can see quality of life. But that's really kind of when I started thinking about how could I bring joy to people in a situation that's often not joyful. And as you know, and feeding and eating is so crucial um, in our life. It's how we communicate. It's how we show love. And so to me, it was just, that's when the, the, the things started coming in. And the idea for me initially was a wafer. You know, this was kind of pre-itsy. <laughs> so I was thinking more of just a wafer. I wanted something that was solid, that provided easy calories, but also melted quickly. And something that really tasted good. Since then, Itsy's done such a wonderful job talking about transitional foods. And if you can go to their website and Giselle and Dobie, they do quite a bit of research and just really talking to about, you know, what it means to break apart food with the transitional food and how it starts as a level seven and goes down to a level five minced voice. So they do such a great job with that, but that's really kind of how the idea came to fruition. Awesome. I love it. So how, how did you, how did you get started with it? 
So uh, initially, I it was a little bit crazy, but I think part of the fact of being naive was in my favor. You know, I've never taken a sales course or a business course. My whole life has been science. But I started reaching out to people on LinkedIn in this space, um, companies and CEOs, and I started getting some hits and people would get back to me. And at first I thought, well, maybe I would just, you know, be a consultant. And then later on decided with my brother, who's an attorney, that he said, you know what, why don't we just make it ourselves? And so we said, okay, maybe we should, because we could control kind of everything about it. So we found a company in California called Matson, and they have food scientists. And we really sat down together and discussed what we wanted to do. And I kind of had this list of all these things that I wanted, not only thinking about our patients in terms of my history with them, but also trying to look at the research and what it was that would be a snack that could encompass as many things as I could. And that's how we kind of started. I love it. We had to, uh, when we first started, when you, when you start a business or a product, a lot of times you'll apply for a patent. And during the patent process, I had to gather quite a bit of information about just in general dysphagia and then about other products and then about the products um, that I was trying to make myself. And, you know, I'm from Chicago. So Jerry Logeman to me is kind of like, you know, <laughs> the end all be all in her book, Evaluation and Treatment of Swallowing Disorders was my go-to for a lot of the research that I had to do for the patent. Luckily, too, there's quite a bit of research in terms of Alzheimer's patients, you know, in terms of finger foods. And so I was able to find quite a bit on them and how the progression of the disease shows differences in dysphagia. And then one of the articles that's most special to me is my mentor. Her name is Paulette Wood, and she lives in Des Moines, Iowa. She's since retired, but her and a dietitian uh, did a study on feeding patients that were anorectic and basically using a happy hour or using comfort foods. And this study really did show that if you went in, they, they had calorie dense foods and they would go in at the end of the day and present them in a happy hour type environment. And they found that there were patients that actually maintained their weight with this process and were more apt to try foods based on this environment of happiness. Oh, fun. So those were all kind of my building blocks for when I did my uh, patent. Awesome. I love it, Tia. <laughs> so let me, let me ask you, cause I like, even just myself in the last like, year or two, I've gotten so much more I really just dove into more of the dementia dysphagia comorbidity. And I, I learned so much more about dementia patients that I, I had no idea as far as things they like and dislike that the typical dys- dementia patient, as far as their likes and dislikes. Have you, did you find anything about what they recognize? You know, like I didn't know if you designed the eat bar to resemble anything like specifically or, or if that was something that came into play. Yeah, I mean, there were a few things. One that dementia patients often, they like finger foods. And there's actually been some good studies that show too, when you don't have the utensils, they're able to feed themselves better, you know, because towards the end, usually a lot of the, it's all related to cognition. You know, it's a later stage when we start to see more issues with the dysphagia. But by eliminating having other distractions like a spoon or fork, and they're able to feed themselves. Research actually showed that in some ways they were gaining weight in certain situations because they're getting it to their mouth more, and then they're able to get more down. Um, so that was interesting. And then, you know, a lot of them will revert back to wanting things from their childhood. So sweets and things like that, that remind them um, comfort foods, things that remind them of, of things from before. So there was quite a bit of research that I found on that in terms of, you know, and just trying to get calories on them, you know, towards the end, a lot of times too, it's just about the treat and satisfaction and things that they will like. So those were things that I, that I researched when doing the E-Bar. I tried specifically to though, just generally in the E-Bar to kind of think about things like if we had a patient with hemiparesis. So I wanted it to be the size that they could pick it up and feed themselves. And I wanted it to melt quickly in their mouth, but not so quickly that it was in their hands. <laughs> the other thing was picking lemon. 
I specifically did that. You know, the research on lemon in terms of does it help the triggering of the swallow? It's it's a little bit, uh, you know, it's it's still out there whether it helps or not. But there was actually some solid da- data by someone named Murgash where he talked about lemon and yogurt and how it ha- actually increased the saliva flow. And so I started thinking, you know, there is enough kind of with that that I feel like having a flavor of lemon would be helpful for our patients. And so that was one of the things that I chose also. Interesting. Is that the only flavor it comes in? I wanted something that was inclusive too. You know, I wanted something that anyone would want to eat. And we have research too, um, for I at all talks about just how isolating it can be, you know, and how different you feel when you have dysphagia. And I've even heard stories of children bringing in the bars to their grandparents in nursing homes who have Alzheimer's disease and sitting together and having them. So that was really my goal is to have something that was delicious that anyone would want to eat. Cool. And I think lastly is I wanted something that would help caregivers. You know, these caregivers are so burdened already. You walk in, they've just found out their dad has dysphagia. Now you need to blend this, do that. You know, they're very overwhelmed. So I wanted something that was portable and something that they could take with them when they were going to therapy sessions or going to see doctors and that would require no refrigeration, no utensils. So those were all kind of my thoughts. And then I forgot the one last thing is the word eat. (laughs) I actually chose the word eat bar because I wanted it to be a directive. And when I would go to some of these nursing homes, I would see large stop signs. And I realized that a lot of them could still understand these basic directives. And so my goal was to use the word eat as a basic directive for them, even with their cognitive impairment. I love it, Tia. I love how you just thought of so many different things at once. Yeah. <laughs> All of them, you know, some of them, I think most of them did work in, in, in my favor. You know, some of them didn't as much. I, I really focused on the 200 calories. That was because a lot of dietitians okay. told me that was a snack. We've come to find out a lot of people will eat multiple ones during the day or one in one, you know, the, the amount of calories that I, that's why we put three bars in one box was because of that. Um, but now I'm looking at maybe we're going to in the future do a box with 12 bars. You know, it, it won't be so much focus it's just on the 200 calories, yeah, but yeah, you live and learn, you know, and I think a lot of we were able to, to hit the box on. So that was good. Do you have more flavors just than the lemon? So we have lemon, strawberry, dark chocolate, and white chocolate. Oh, cool. Okay. Those are the four flavors. Awesome. And in the future, we hope to, you know, I found so much out since we've launched a year ago in terms of, I mean, there's so many people out there with disorders, diseases that I didn't even know. You know, my background is in adults. So I really thought I'm thinking of Alzheimer's patients or post-stroke or, you know, those type head and neck cancer. Um, But there's a lot of people struggling out there with esophageal dysphagias from things that they were either born with or have developed over time. There are a lot of older adults that just have issues with dry mouth or reduced taste and reduced appetite that are really looking for extra calories during the day. And then children. I mean, I never saw pediatrics, but there are so many kids out there with sensory issues and taste distortion. And I've just been overwhelmed with the amount of children that have just really loved the snacks. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think of my son, we, I mean, I could stand on my head to try to get that kid to eat and, you know, we pour oil on things, you know, we use olive oil, we use avocado oil, we use so much stuff to just get calories in him. So and it's stressful. Yeah. I mean, you, you can, you know, I hear from a lot of mothers, it, it's very stressful because every meal becomes this, you know, prep for what are we going to do and how are we going to get calor- calories yeah, on them. Yeah. So. And, and I love what you said about having something to just like throw in a bag to take. We were in, we went to Disney World a few, a month or two ago, just as a family. And, you know, like that just totally stressed me out. Like, what am I going to feed this kid while we're there? You know, so I put like some of those yogurt packs in a bag, but And luckily we went to a restaurant that I was able to order something that he could eat. But yeah, so many of those things just stress me out. So I love that, you know, you're able to find something that is portable and doesn't need refrigeration and 
Yep. And it's really difficult. I didn't know this till I got started. And I have a whole new appreciation for food scientists because it is a complete field. I mean, it's a whole other world. You know, you think you just eat something and there's so much that goes into it. So it is very difficult to make something melt quickly and taste good. And, and that was for us, it was really that, you know, I had, it had to be this combination of calorie, easy calories, because it was really for those people who you're just trying to get stuff on, you know, you're, you're really trying to just get the calories in, um, but it also tastes delicious, but melt quickly. You know, when you think of standard things out there maybe that are solid like a protein bar or something like that they're so difficult for our patients or they contain nuts it it is it's it's harder to find things for them that are calorie dense but also not quickly yeah awesome i love it all right what's next Let's see. I, there are some people I want to thank if you'll yes, let me. Of <laughs> some speech pathologists that I never have met. All right. So as I started kind of this process of learning a little bit more about business and marketing, I started learning about consumer behavior. And in the consumer world, there's kind of a graph that we see. And there's these people we call the early adapters. And it's a small group, but they're the people that really are like the go-getters. And they will try things first out of the gate. Most of us kind of fit in the second gap where we wait. We want to see what the early adapters say. We want them to tell us a little bit more about what they thought of products. And in our field, I have to say there were some early adapters that I am forever grateful for. And I won't be able to mention them all, but people that I emailed, I've never met, I didn't know at the time. And I said, hey, I have this product. Would you be willing to try it? Give me feedback, try it with your patients. And so many people did that. People like Chrissy Brackett from Pediatric Feeding News, Dan Baer from Ages and Stages. Um, They let me write blogs. They tried the product. They gave me feedback. It was so wonderful. Karen Scheffler from SwallStudy.com, who, you know, she works in the field. Um, She has a very impressive resume of working with companies. She actually took the bars, tried them, and wrote a complete blog about how they're transitional food and can be used with patients to try to get off puree. I'm forever grateful for that. And then last is a woman named Nancy Kalamusa. She's part of New Jersey Pediatric Feeding Association. She was the first video I received of a little boy. And I just happened to be going through my news feed and I saw a video of a little boy with TBI and he was nonverbal and he was blinking for more eat bars. And it was just such a monumental moment for me and my team. And I'm forever grateful for those early innovators in our field that really said, let's try this. Let's give it a shot. So thank you. Awesome. I love it to you. What else? When we initially started, we did what's called a beta test analysis, and we did it at Anthem Memory Care in Portland, Oregon, and we got a chance just to give the bars out, and this was the first time. I always say it's, you know, you have these ideas and you think it's going to work, but you don't really know until you start to get it out there and and let people actually try it. So we did a five-point scale and just really asking about, you know, taste, uh, satisfaction, function, those type of things, and it was given not only to some of the patients there, but also nurses and some of the people in admissions. And so that was kind of our first little test, and it was great. The results from the very get-go, we were so pleased with and and knew that we kind of had something that was resonating. We've spoken with a university in hopes that in the future to maybe do a sensory analysis study. We talked about doing it with head and neck cancer patients, hopefully doing something where you would see them every seven weeks, some receiving radiation only, some getting concurrent chemotherapy, but really testing after those seven-week intervals and seeing how's taste and function, does it change, you know, those type of things. I personally want to do at some point a case study on uh, either fluoro or fees and find out how many patients on a puree diet are able to actually tolerate the transitional eat bar. Yeah. Because yeah. um, that's just so interesting to me. You know, even if you've got those people that can only be on puree for most of the meals, are they able to tolerate a transitional snack? And then it gives them and their family, you know, that one little thing during the day that they can have that crunch. So that's very interesting to me. 
And then last, I think uh, you you had actually posted a couple of weeks ago about the Grazer project. And I think I have an idea about that too. I wanted in a nursing home, I, I want to see the best vessel to distribute the EBAR. So is it putting it in a cart and walking around and kind of handing it out? Is it putting it on a plate? Is it leaving it down in a galley and having people pick it? And then more interesting to me, though, is even like, is it putting it on a dresser in a windowsill? You know, you have so many of those patients that just wander throughout the day and they pick stuff up. And would that be a good way to get in calories for those patients? Oh, cool. Like I said, I love that you've thought of so many different things, Tia. You know, it's I always I'm a clinician at heart, you know, and I always look through it from the eyes of a clinician. My brother is my co-founder and he's an attorney. So the combination of two kind of helps because he looks at the business side and I look more at that. But I really it's really about I call them my you know they're my customers, but they're my patients in my mind. You know, I every person is is who I'm thinking about. And so Yeah. I, I would I would love to see it on, on fees or fluoro someday, like you said. I, I I think what's so fascinating is, you know, when I do fees is that there's so many patients that we assume that they can only do puree and then we find out that they just have so much residue and they can't even handle the residue. So something like a transitional food actually is easier for them to eat, you know, so there's so many things that go into play. So I, I would, I would love to see it on fees too. And just to see how, you know, how it is broken down, how it is masticated, things like that. Yeah. Exactly. And that's, we haven't quite got into that yet. And I just, it's more anecdotal at this point, but people have said, I couldn't tolerate this for years, but I can tolerate this. There's something about that minced moist, you know, depending on the mechanics and what's going on with their strength and their uh, coordination. But there are, like you said, certain people, transitional foods are, they just, they're able to tolerate them and it allows them to have that crunch. Yeah. Yeah. Which is nice. Let, let me ask you how you, did you have specific ingredients in mind that you wanted in the bar or did you just know you wanted it to be to taste good and to be able to have the properties of a transitional food. Yeah. So we worked really, like I said, it's kind of difficult. I was limited in some ways based on the mechanics and the physiology of things, but I, I was very steadfast about, I wanted it to be GMO free. I thought even if it's a treat and even if it has sugar, I wanted to make sure that there was nothing else in it. So it was a pure food, a real food. Second of all, I, you know, I wanted it to be kosher. That's important for a lot of our patients and it's in a nut free facility. So that was one more thing that was very important to me that it was, there were no, nuts. So when we are making it, and you know, we use Greek yogurt. Um, so that's in there. And then because of the egg, there is a, some protein. So that was all kind of going into it. And really our calories come in the coating of the meringue. It's a coated meringue and that's really where all the calories came in. So that's, those were kind of the important things when we went into it that I said, this is what I want to do. Cool. So yes, those were the important factors. I love that. I love it so much. Okay. Um, let's see. I'm sure I have, I just wanted to talk a little bit I mean, I talked a little bit about already, I guess, that some of my patient's stories. If you don't mind, I can just do a couple more of those. And then I, at the end, I just really want to talk to about innovation. Like I said, some things that I think in terms of that, that's okay with you? Yeah. Okay. Um, sometimes my husband will, I'll be reading my customer reviews and my, I'll be crying. And my husband's like, are you crying? And I'm like, yes, I'm crying. But I've just really been overwhelmed in the last year just with the patient stories, you know? And I think we have some of the best customers who reach out and let us know how the bars are working for them. But even, you know, when it comes down to, we were picking somebody to help be our partner to actually ship, you know, our shipping partner. I had to find a company that understood what we were doing. You know, it's more than just a bar. You know, food is so much more than that. And so there are times that people literally tell me that they are waiting by their mailbox. And one woman told me the other day, you know, her son is autistic and she said, my son depends on your bars. And it was just one of those things that I just realized, you know, we have everyone that's involved has to understand what we're doing and what the goal is and what our mission is. And that goes from the person who makes it, the manufacturer, all the way to the person who ships it out. So the stories, like I said, have been really just life-changing hearing about little girls that are blind 
that bring the bar up to their mouth and have the biggest smile ever. People who are end of life, um, where their family brought the bars, they all sat together in a circle, you know, gave them a little boost of energy and not eating anything for a week. And then together they enjoyed it. And that was one of the last things he ate. So all these stories, you know, they just fill my heart. And I am just so grateful for all of our customers and all our supporters. Awesome. And then I just wanted to say, you know, I think, you know, right now is not exactly the time. Obviously, many people are overwhelmed and there's a lot going on. But I hope down the road that people really realize that we there's a lot that we can do to innovate. And, you know, my mission is not only obviously to help people through the EPAR, but is to also really inspire. I want to inspire clinicians and new students and new graduate students to really know that there's a lot of space for us. You know, if we want to make differences last, we have to be innovative. We have to have new ideas. So I think that's very important. And when I first started talking to some of these other companies, I was completely shocked to find out that many of them did not have a speech pathologist on staff. So they would usually consult us later after the product was made. And I thought, oh, what a missed opportunity. You know, so many clinicians are on so many different floors, seeing so many different kinds of patients with so many different type of doctors. You know, my one thing that I always say to people is we should be seated at the table. We should, you know. So um, I just think it's really important to try to get involved as much as you can. Now, you can start a company. You can, you know, like I said, you can do all these different things. But even on a, a littler level, being part of teams in your hospital is important. So you have that seat at the table, you have a voice. I would also encourage people to try products, as many as you can. So reaching out to any company that has any product in the space and saying, hey, can we try a sample? Can you give us a video talk? Or can you come and actually show us the equipment? The best thing you can do is get as much information as you can. And I think also provide information back to these companies. This is what works. This is what doesn't. This is what we wish you had. This is all valuable information. And it also moves us forward. And I think Having that list of things, you know, not everything is going to work for everyone, but having a list of items that you can go to when you have that person sitting in front of you and saying, okay, well, I tried this and these are the pros and cons I see, or this is the research. That's so valuable because that knowledge is powerful to us. So I would encourage anybody to, to really try the products, reach out, try samples uh, and, and give your thoughts on that. And then lastly, if you can be a space to have research, you know, become a, a facility where you can provide research. A lot of times the companies will do the legwork and provide the sample, and it can be even retrospective in some points. Um, but being a research site is so crucial to products and future products. And I would say too, if you have some ideas, think about it. Maybe get yourself, you know, you have to write it down. You have to think legally. You need to write an NDA. Make sure you don't share your ideas until you are protected. But a lot of these companies, you know, the future in terms of all these patients with um, Alzheimer's disease, you know, the numbers are astounding. You know that what's going to happen with the baby boomers. This is the time. And you have a lot of valuable information and can provide a lot of value to these companies. So if you have ideas, I do encourage you to try and to reach out because there are places and people will listen. Yeah. Awesome. I love it, Tia. How long did it, how long did it take you from like idea to inception basically? So we kind of started about four years ago and I have kind of a list of ideas. This was our first product. I have about four or five products in my mind. So this was the first one. And then we had to actually have it made. Then we had to find someone to actually make it. And we are actually manufactured in Canada right now. That was the only facility we could find that would be able to coat a meringue. You know, we look essentially in the United States, but that was pretty much it. So we ended up with that and that took a long search and then actually making the product and getting it in the packaging, all that. And then we first actually launched on Amazon just to kind of see, we wanted to test the market and it was a great learning experience. Amazon is great as a customer. I love it. But when you are sometimes giving the product, it's not as good because sometimes our product would be sent out and it is delicate. So they maybe get it and it wasn't in the shape that they wanted. Well, we want to make it right. 
but Amazon doesn't give you the information. Gotcha. So we could never make it right with our product, uh, with our, pay, our customers. So about a year ago, we said, you know what? We're going to launch it on our own. Let's be control of everything so we can make sure that we have the messaging and we can make sure that we give the customer service that we want. So last year is really when we launched online and, and full-fledged from our website um, started selling. I love, I, I'm always so inspired by like the tenacity that some people have just to make it come to fruition. You know, and I think I, I get angry because I've had a few people say to me like this this thing you've done is so successful I had that same idea and I'm like well great like congratulations but you did nothing with the idea you know I have so much respect for people that actually go out there and make it happen and and like you said you know I something I always say is action breeds success and and it's because it may not be perfect but you gather the information that you need to make the tweaks to make it better you know, so with constant feedback and constant reflection, that's how you make these great products. And I, I just love hearing your story to you. <laughs> but I think fear holds us back. You it's know, completely. Fear yeah. of rejection, yeah. fear of what, you know, and, and for me, some of it, I always, I don't know if you believe in a higher power, but I mean, a lot of it was just things lined up, but it's also when I have a bad day and I think, oh, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. I'll get an email. And I'm back in and I realize this is bigger than me now. You know, it's about helping a lot of people. So, you know, I think any, you're a business owner too. I mean, there's a lot of ups and downs and all arounds, but you just have to persevere. And you realize whenever, you know, I, I listen to podcasts or you, you start to realize anybody who has a business, it's, it's not, it's not a line that goes like this. It's a line that goes like 100%. this. 100%. You know? And yeah. you just have to, you know, but don't let the fear, you miss so many opportunities if you let the fear keep you back. So I just, that's my thing too. I always, you know, I'm sure you say, if I can do it, you can, but it's totally true. You know, anybody can do it. And there are people out there that will help you. And I had so much help along the way where people were willing to give advice. And I think that, you know, you'd be surprised. I, I, I believe that wholeheartedly. There's so many people that I've reached out to that I had no idea they would be willing to help so much. And I think what's so fascinating, especially in our field, is there's so many people that want to help. Yes. Like once you, you know, you get in touch with them and they're like, oh, I'd love to introduce you to this person or I'd love to help you with this paper. And it's like, what? You what? Yes. But, <laughs> but same thing, you know, people reach out to me like, can I get on your podcast? I'm like, yes, I'd love to have you, you know. So it's, we, we all genuinely want to help each other. It's just, we're all too dang scared to ask half the time. So (laughs) that's it. You know, and some of that's probably just us, but yeah, we want things to be right. We want to do things. I mean, it's a speech for thought, you know, a lot of us are very similar, (laughs) Uh, but I think, yeah, it's, you would be surprised. And I think some of the the being naive is what helps, what helped me in a lot of ways. Cause I said, I'm just going to do it. And I knew in my heart that I had something that I wanted to help people with. And I think if you just keep going back to that, you know, that, that desire, your end hope is to help people. It helps you along. I love it. Oh, I love it so much to you. Okay. Did we cover everything? The only other thing I just wanted to say, you know, we have, uh, we are a small startup, but we always try to give clinicians uh, samples. And we also have a sample program. So if you are in a facility that you have patients that have dysphagia and you think that this would be a product that could work for them, we give out individual samples with discount cards so that they can actually get them and try them. And our site we is at the e-bar on Facebook or theebar.com. But I also have at Neutrophasia on Facebook. And that's really kind of more geared, geared towards the clinicians. Um, you know, I, I have some great clinician stories, or if I write a blog, or if somebody writes something about us, we always put that on there. Awesome. I love it. Thanks, Tia. Any any final thoughts? No, that's I want to thank you too. I think, like I said, yeah. I think you're doing such great work. And I see what you're posting now. And I think you're a sounding voice and it's comfort. It's comfort for a lot of people right now that are scared. And I, I just commend you for doing that. Thank you. It's a weird space to be in right now, like I said, but 
and yeah, I'm happy to help however I can. So thank I you. I just hope, like I said, I, almost, I just saw something the other day. I hope it is almost a revolution though for healthcare workers where you realize how essential we are. And, uh, you know, those speech pathologists out there, it's, you're just up there. I mean, think of all the extubation. Now the swallow studies are even more crucial. So I think um, I just really, I, I hope this momentum when this is all over just keeps going and that, that people start to treat speech pathologists and, uh, you know, compensate them that way. Yeah. All right. So well, thanks to you. Thank you so much. It was nice yes, to meet you. You as well. <laughs> and if you need anything, if you know, always reach out if if I can as a company to help you in your in your mission anyway, let me know too. Awesome. Thanks, Tia. So if you would love to hear more of these episodes and get some easily digestible bites of swallowing knowledge, then please leave a review on iTunes or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash swallow your pride because that is what keeps these episodes coming. Also, don't forget to subscribe, share with your closest colleagues, and show notes will always be available to download over on SwallowYourPridePodcast.com, where you can also be notified of the latest podcast episodes. Also, credit to Stephanie Jacobson for her incredible editing skills, and thank you so much to all of you for listening.